Hey there, welcome back to this episode of Picking Your Brain, the podcast where we delve deep into psychology's hottest topics. Today, we have a very special brain to pick. Please welcome Max Terranova. As always, this episode is sponsored by IKEA. The only thing harder than putting together our furniture is finding your way out of our store. Anyways, let's just jump right into it. The first thing we're going to discuss is Ivan Pavlov and his discoveries on learning. How familiar would you say you are with this topic, Max? Um, I'd say I'm pretty well versed in Pavlov, but I'm excited at the possibility to learn some more. Perfect. So, to recap for our listeners, Ivan Pavlov was a Russian scientist who accidentally discovered what we now call classical conditioning. Initially, he was just experimenting to unearth what causes dogs to salivate in the presence of food. But soon he noticed that the dog started salivating when it just saw the can opener, before the food was even in view. Pavlov tried this experiment many times with many different dogs and other variables, such as having a different person feed them. But regardless, each time the dog salivated at the sight of the can opener. It's worth noting that dogs are not at all predisposed to drooling at the sight of a piece of metal. Exactly. Nothing in their biological programming tells them that a hunk of metal has anything to do with food at all. Rather, they learn that behavior through association, the linking of two events with each other. Dogs learned that Pavlov pulling out the can opener would always lead to them getting fed. And as a result, the dogs started behaving like those two things were one and the same. And as it turns out, that kind of learning, classical conditioning, is easily repeated. All you have to do is take some kind of uncontrollable response, like getting nauseous due to an illness, and pair it with something completely unrelated, like your favorite meal. So you get to have this amazing meal, right? But that stomach bug makes you throw it right back up. Well, it's perfectly possible you'll feel nauseous at the smell of that food that you previously loved, even after that sickness is long gone. One thing I've always wondered is what would happen if Pavlov started to pull out the can opener in front of the dogs without feeding them? Would they still continue to expect food? That's a good question, actually. A process called extinction would occur. Gradually, as the can opener, or the neutral stimulus, is shown without the food, which is the uncontrolled stimulus, the dogs would simply stop displaying the learned associated behavior. So that's it? It's just gone forever? Not exactly. There is something called spontaneous recovery, in which the associated response randomly just appears again long after extinction takes place. Oh, well and good, but how is any of this practical? Actually, I'm really glad you asked. Classical conditioning itself is an adaptive mechanism used to protect our prehistoric relatives from certain demise. It was important in developing healthy phobias, allowing early humans to associate aggressive animals with danger and injury. Sure, that makes sense, but we aren't exactly cavemen fighting off woolly mammoth and saber-toothed tigers anymore. True, but classical conditioning is still used today in therapy and drug rehabilitation. How so? Aversion therapy uses classical conditioning to encourage patients to give up bad habits like substance abuse or smoking by associating these behaviors with something unpleasant, like an electric shock or a foul smell. This association curbs cravings and deters that behavior in the future. Another therapy that utilizes Pavlov's discovery is systematic desensitization, which exposes patients to progressively higher phobia-triggering stimuli while practicing relaxation techniques, so that the phobia is gradually associated with a feeling of relaxation. This can be extremely helpful for individuals who suffer from trauma or PTSD. Finally, another method to ease phobia using this conditioning is a practice called flooding. In this technique, patients are repeatedly exposed to stimuli that induce a high level of fear and stress, and so the lack of harmful reinforcement causes the extinction of the association of that stimuli with anxiety. Wow, it sounds like Pavlov's discovery actually led to a lot of positive advancements in the field of science and medicine. Yes, and that's not all. 
It's all used in marketing and advertisement every single day. Do you ever wonder why car commercials feature attractive models or a seemingly too happy family? These ads trick your brain into associating those people with that product. In fact, a study by a professor named Saldini in 2008 showed that men who were shown a car commercial with an attractive model reported more positive feedback about the overall performance of the car than men who were shown the exact same commercial without the model. Now, another word from our sponsor, Home Depot. More saving, more doing. That classical conditioning can take place without me ever knowing makes me question some of the ethics of its process. Really? How do you mean? Well, it really doesn't allow for much free will for the individual to give consent to the results of the experiment that used classical conditioning. The subject can't control whether an interaction between an unconditioned stimulus and a neutral stimulus results in a lifelong phobia. Instance, let's say you're experimenting to see which type of stimulus, a sound, a smell, or maybe even an object, creates the longest lasting controlled fear response. The perpetrators of that experiment don't have any control over how long the subject's phobia lasts. And they could be left with a permanent fear of that stimulus. Not only do researchers have little control over the effects of the experiment, there was even a study done at Johns Hopkins in which a baby, who could obviously not give his consent, was used in a test to see if classical conditioning worked on humans. Albert, who previously loved to play with all different kinds of animals, was subjected to a loud sound and then given a small rat, in which he immediately became afraid of. He also developed a phobia not only to rats, but to all different types of animals and furry objects. Reportedly, he never desensitized to that fear, and unfortunately, they were never able to test the full psychological trauma as he tragically passed away at the age of six. It's a good thing that experiments like that have long been deemed unethical and no longer take place today. I can see where you have reservations about the use of classical conditioning on people, and it surely must be in a controlled environment so that it can only be used to help subjects. Agreed. Something else that worries me is how accurate classical conditioning truly predicts and explains behavior. Since it is a reductionist explanation of behavior, I'm afraid that it oversimplifies the complexity of certain human habits. I understand that it is necessary to simplify complicated behavioral responses so that they can be scientifically measured, but it makes me question the validity of classical conditioning in practice. I can see where you might think that there are more intricate factors at play than can be explained in classical conditioning, which seems so simple. However, it has been successfully used so often to help thousands of people suffering from psychological trauma and disabilities that I believe it does more harm than good. Although it is important to remember that it is prone to error and misuse, if used carefully and correctly, it is an extremely helpful psychological tool. Thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of Picking Your Brain. I want to thank our very special guest, Max Ternova, for coming in with us today. Thank you for having me. I had a fantastic time. And until next time, Sydney Lundberg signing out.